This is the Sermon Podcast of Lord of Life Lutheran Church in Columbus, Ohio, where we proclaim God's extravagant grace, radical inclusion, and relentless compassion. Join us for worship Sundays at 8 a.m., 9 a.m., or 11.15 a.m. For more information, please visit our website at www.acceptingall.com. Our reading from the life of Jesus for this third Sunday in Lent is found in the Gospel of Luke, the 13th chapter. At that time, there were some who told Jesus about some Galileans whose blood Pilate had mingled with their sacrifices. So Jesus asked them, do you think that because these Galileans suffered in this way that they were worse sinners than others? No, I tell you. But unless you repent, you will all perish just as they did. Or those 18 who were killed when the Tower of Siloam fell on them. Do you think they were worse offenders than everybody else in Jerusalem? No, I tell you. But unless you repent, you will all perish just as they did. And then Jesus told this parable. A man had a fig tree planted in his vineyard. He came looking for fruit on it and found none. So he said to the gardener, see here, for three years I've come looking for fruit on this fig tree and I find none. Cut it down. Why should it be wasting the soil? He replies, Sir, let it alone for one more year. I'll dig around it. I'll put manure on it. And if it bears fruit next year, well and good. But if not, you can cut it down. Gospel of the Lord. Grace and mercy be yours through Jesus. Sammy Bates uh, is a kindergartner. Some of you actually will know little Sammy, uh, son of Nick and Katie Bates. Uh, Nick is a diaconal minister in the ELCA. He's a member at Clinton Heights Lutheran Church over in Clintonville. He did his diaconal project here in this congregation a few years ago on advocacy and justice in the church. Well, Sammy's in kindergarten and had a traumatic experience. Um, every day he takes his book bag to school. They bring a little snack. Everybody's supposed to bring a snack for in the middle of the afternoon, and Sammy went to open up his thing, and somebody had stolen his snack and eaten his snack. Now, that's the kind of heinous crime in kindergarten that you just don't really get away with. Uh, and so there were tears, and there was a confession, and somebody apologized, and the teacher worked everything out. Thank God for teachers. Uh, this is what's interesting to me. Sammy, from that experience, came to this realization there are kids in my class who don't have enough to eat. That's a lot to process for a kindergartner. Um, to the credit of Sammy and his parents and his church, Sammy's anger over losing a snack, which I would be too, morphed, transformed into something that we would now call empathy for others. A few days ago, according to his dad, Sammy tells dad and mom out of the clear blue sky that he wants our next president to make sure all kids have enough to eat. How about this? I vote for Sammy Bates for president. (laughs) Or how about this? How about turning in the weekly reader to page two? That's that little short little thing we've got there. Um, We're going to try something Next month that we've not done before, all month, all month, all March, we're going to collect some 
school-appropriate snacks. Very specific what the snacks are. Not just any old snacks, but the very exact kind. or some sitting on the table of exactly what we're looking for. So that in April, 250 kids in eight different schools who are the most food insecure in the schools, who Sammy would say don't have enough to eat, can take home every weekend a bag called a buddy bag full of snacks that they can open themselves and eat themselves and not be dependent on somebody else to do. Couldn't be more excited about this. We're only going to do it for one month. We're going to see how it goes. Everything that we have extra, we're going to give away. That's, that's all good. But it's a project I think everybody can help in. We can all donate. Life Patch is going to fill the bags. It's going to be fun each week. One body's going to be counting so we know we make sure we have enough stuff so we fill all of the bags. Next Sunday at uh, 10 o'clock, right before this hour, someone from the Family Mentor Foundation, which as far as I can tell, the Family Mentor Foundation is a bunch of teachers who got really try- tired of trying to teach kids who are hungry. So they said, we're going to do something about it. And they just started asking for help. And I think maybe we're going to be some of, of that help. And some of our own teachers who have had the experience of trying to teach hungry kids are going to share some of their experience and what that's like. That's at 10 o'clock in room 309. Uh, I hope that you're able to come and learn something about that experience. Now, that is not exactly some new revolutionary idea. We just heard it in the first reading from Isaiah. We believe, as David got us started so well today, we believe, or so we say, in one loving, generous, father, parental, almighty God. We believe that. Now, I don't know what your families are like, but I can tell you how mine was. When our children sat down at the dinner table, we did not hand them a menu with the prices of everything that they were going to eat. We did not ask them to go back to their piggy bank and get out their money and find out how much they're going to eat tonight. And when the meal was over, we didn't give them a bill for what they'd actually eaten. We did that because we thought we were being generous parents. That's kind of the point of God through the prophet Isaiah when he says, Hey, ho, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. And you that have no money, you come. Buy milk, wine, Without money, without price. Now, unless you left your brain at the church door, which sometimes happens, something about that shouldn't make sense, right? That's not the way the world works. Buy without money, without price. You got no money, says Isaiah. Just come, just come buy milk and wine without money, without price. Really? The market works by something that's called quid pro quo. It's, it's Latin, and it, it means this for that. Um, favor for a favor. You give me this because I give you this. If you have no money, if you have nothing to give in the market, you don't get anything. It doesn't work that way. Which might be exactly why God, in the very next sentence, makes it clear that my thoughts are not your thoughts, and my ways are not your ways. As far as heaven is from this earth are my thoughts and my ways from yours. Let me say it a little differently. The marketplace is not God. In fact, if you are helping someone, or loving someone, or sharing with someone in order to get something expecting something in return, you're just doing business. That's just the market. And well, 
God's ways are not your ways. The opposite of trusting in one gracious, generous, abundant God uh, is what sometimes is called scarcity thinking. Scarcity thinking is the idea that there's not really enough in the world. Um, that God, God only had so much, God can only create so much, and God's already done that, and God's got a good handle on that, a tight fist on that, and God's role is just to, just to dole out good things to good people. Jesus said it the opposite way in our gospel lesson. You really don't think that God lets bad things happen just to bad people, do you? And since, according to scarcity thinking, God's got this tight fist controlling everything. And since deep inside we know that we're good, but we're not that good, there's like a fear inside of us that there's not going to be enough for us. And so we start to develop our own tight fists toward God, toward our sisters and brothers, and sometimes even to ourselves. And that produces a kind of world that is broken. Broken. A world where the only real conversation is how do I grab some more or how do I hold on to what I have? So here's the ultimate Linton question. If you believe that, that God is good, and I do, one good, generous God of all, if you believe that God has already done everything and given everything, that that's just the way God is, if you believe that God's grace is extravagant rather than stingy, is radical inclusion rather than restraint, his compassion is relentless for everyone rather than just doled out to a few people, if you believed that about God, would it make any difference in your life? Would you shop differently, save differently, spend differently, share differently? Would you live differently? Would you love differently? See, I think God is inviting us not just to come to the waters. God is doing that. But God is also inviting us to come to a different way of thinking. A whole lot of the world says that we should just accept the reality of poverty and hunger. And sometimes even quote Jesus, which galls me to no end. Well, the poor will always be with you. Jesus didn't say that was the goal. Let me say this as clearly as possible and in a way that ought to break your heart the way it's been breaking some of ours recently. There are hungry children within a mile of this church. Hungry children. There are thousands of hungry people within 20 miles of this church. There are more than 15 million children, one in five in this country who is what's called food insecure, doesn't know where the food's going to come from tomorrow. And a quid pro quo world says, eh, as is the way it is, or blames them for it, or worse, systemically profits from it. There are sisters and brothers working as hard as they can work, struggling to get by, living in fear, fleeing poverty and violence, and one view of the world is, eh, it's just the way it is, as long as I got mine. And then you hear God in that first reading say, come, come, all of you who are thirsty, come, come buy without price, without money. I think we're we're getting that at Lord of Life. It's, it's exciting times for us. I think we understand more and more so that if we are claiming to be the body of Christ on earth, and we are claiming that, 
And if we are claiming that each one of us individually is a member of that, and we are claiming that, then part of God's invitation to everyone to come and buy is us. We're the body of Christ. And for that to happen, a generous God has to give us a new way to think. Now, I, I'm, I'm not claiming this is a simple subject. And I, I know sometimes that's the way it rolls. You come to church, don't think anymore. Uh, I went to business school at a pretty darn good business school. Um, I know the questions. Here are the questions. If everyone receives free food, this is the macroeconomic question, well, then how are the farmers and the truckers and the grocers, how are they going to make any money? Here's a sociological question. If you receive free food, will you actually work as hard as you did when you didn't? If everyone receives free food or water, ask the people in Flint, or health care, will there be enough for me? Scarcity thinking. God says, come and eat and drink without money, without price, because that's just the kind of God that I am. Showering the rain on the just and the unjust alike. Sowing seeds everywhere. Letting the last be first. Throwing open the banquet doors to anyone who can come in. Why do you spend your money anyway for that which is not bread and for that which can't satisfy you? So there's one God creator of everything that is seen and unseen, generous to all. And it's almost unavoidable. We have this quid pro quo tape that runs in our head. And frankly, it feels like we're, we're stuck on a political merry-go-round right now. And the only thing that we seem to be able to talk about is whether the next emperor is going to give me what I want. Didn't used to be that way. We used to talk about us and all and everyone and the tired and the hurting and the hungry, the least among us. Where, where is God in this big picture we have right now? And here's the ultimate question. I'll give you the answer. Who did Jesus actually die for? The answer is everyone, everyone. And yet we are so focused and we use Jesus to do it on them and us. And that's exactly what scarcity thinking does. It breaks us. It divides us. Left versus right, old versus young, men versus women, gay versus straight. I just about spit out my coffee because I've been doing, doing some interesting reading right now. I heard on CNN debate coverage. Uh, this was the phrase that used trying to block out who voted for who. White versus non-white voters. Man, that is what white privilege sounds like. How come it's not brown and non-brown? Educated, uneducated, Christian, Jew, Muslim, the big one in America, rich versus poor. Let me tell you what just makes my heart pump in this place. Um, And I thank God that 22 and a third more people are going to be welcome today who want to be part of what God is doing in this place. In this church, one of our values is unconditional regard for all people. Liberals and conservatives gather in this space at all three services to worship God together. Lifetime believers and people who aren't even sure they can trust the church pray for the world here. Right here in this church, and it happens every week now, Republicans and Democrats fix a dinner together to share with their neighbors, protect victims of domestic violence, Young people and old people together serve meals, visit 
prisons take care of elderly people. LGBTQ people and straight people gather each week to study and scripture and pray together. And at the center of it all, all of that crazy diversity, which a lot of quid pro quo world says can't exist. At the center of it all, every week, someone is privileged to say, everyone's sins are forgiven. And someone is privileged to say, everybody is welcomed at this table. Because we believe that's just how God is. God's love is far more extravagant and radical and inclusive than we can get our minds around, much less get words around. Regardless of who you are, where you've been, what you've done, let me proclaim it. God is calling all of us to come to the waters without money, without price. Amen.